In the revelation of Jesus Christ, the apostle John writes, and I saw a beast rising out of the sea with 10 horns and seven heads, with 10 diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. It is no coincidence that one of the names given to the antichrist is the beast. That's because when humans try to rule themselves apart from God, we act like beasts. The prefix anti means opposed to and instead of. The future beast that John sees rising out of the sea is opposed to Christ in every way imaginable. He also masquerades as the Messiah in an attempt to deceive the world. I'm Ron Jones. Something good starts right now. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Hello, I'm Brian Davis, and thanks for stopping by for today's edition of Something Good Radio with Dr. Ron Jones. In the last days of planet Earth, the Antichrist will ride into town on a white horse. And for a while, he'll be a good guy. But 42 months later, his true nature will be revealed. Today, Ron takes a penetrating look at the coming Antichrist as he continues his series, Mysteries of the Apocalypse, The Last Days of Planet Earth, and The Return of Jesus Christ. Stay with us now or look for us at somethinggoodradio.org where you can listen to the broadcast on demand on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Subscribe to the podcast at Apple Podcasts, at Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. From Revelation chapter 13, here's Ron with part two of his Something Good radio message, Antichrist and the New World Order. He says, this calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. You say, well, that, that doesn't clarify anything, Pastor, because now we have to know what seven mountains are in, in, in addition to seven heads. Well, anybody in John's day, and John included, would understand the reference to the seven mountains. Rome was the city built on seven hills or seven mountains. And so what John envisions here is that the seven heads, remember the beast has seven heads, ten horns, and ten crowns on the ten horns. The seven heads are the seven mountains representation of the city of Rome, leading many Bible scholars to believe that the Antichrist will base his operations in the city of Rome. Now, some have run with that and made a connection between the Antichrist operations and the Roman Catholic Church and the false prophet and all of that. I won't get into that today, but there's some discussion about that out there. Let's read on in verse 10 or verse 12. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. The ten horns are ten kings, ten nations, we might say. Again, the reviving, the coalescing, the coalition of the revived Roman Empire, led by the beast who places himself in Rome as his base of operations, the seven heads, the seven hills or mountains. You following me so far? It's a lot of imagery to try to make sense of and to connect Bible prophecy passages here. 
The reference here to the ten horns and to the ten kings, let's go back to that discussion last week we had about the European common market because a lot of modern-day Bible prophecy experts uh, about 30 or 40 years ago were looking at the rise of the European common market, this United States of Europe that later became the European Union, and they were seeing that as a a possible uh, fulfillment of Bible prophecy here. And in fact, the European common market started with two or three nations. It quickly rose to 10, and there were 10 nations in the common market for many, many years. Then it went to 12 and 13. Then it changed to the EU, and today the EU, well, it was 28 nations. Now with Britain exiting, it's 27 nations. I I don't know whether the EU is the vehicle through which the Antichrist seizes power. There is some uniting of former Roman Empire nations in the last days through which he seizes power. If it is through the European Union, then maybe the exit of Britain is the first in the process of winnowing those numbered nations down to ten. I I don't know exactly. It could be uh, formed through something other than the EU. I just know this. The Bible says ten. It says ten. And you can count on it. Whatever you see in the day's headlines, whatever you see happening in Europe, just know it's not 12 or 13. It's not 28 or 27. It's ten nations that form. And Daniel says the Antichrist is that little horn that rises up in the midst of them. He takes down three, seizes power of three immediately, and the rest give him authority. So this Antichrist, he's worldly. He is a world leader. He's playing on the world platform. He is well-connected in the world community, and the world has reached this tipping point, this tipping point where it just seems normal and natural and seamless to develop a new world order, only he does so with great evil intent. Now, secondly, and we'll, we'll move on a little bit quicker through the rest of these, secondly, the beast is wounded and then healed. Do you see this in verse 3? One of its heads, remember he had seven heads, this was a revival of the Roman Empire, one of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. Now, some people see in this uh, the, the anti-part of Antichrist as the uh, Antichrist who is instead of Christ, who mimics Christ, and they see in this the death and resurrection of the Antichrist. Remember, he is, if he is not the devil himself, he is possessed with great power and authority and the ability to do signs and wonders and all of that, and is it possible that he dies, he suffers a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed? Again, some see a death and a resurrection here. That's possible, uh, but I actually see in here Uh, perhaps a further description of what happened to the Roman Empire. If you turn again over to Revelation chapter 17 and verses, um, verses 10 and 11, there are also seven kings. Now, again, the, the, the seven kings are the seven mountains, which is the Roman Empire, They are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven, and it goes to destruction. Now, that's about as clear as mud, isn't it? (laughs) 
<laughs> so I went to one of my scholarly friends, Dr. Ray Stedman, who made some sense of all this. If, in fact, that mortal wound is a reference to the iterations in government expressions within the Roman Empire, Stedman says the Roman historian Livy wrote that there had been five forms of Roman government up to his time. Rome originally began as a loosely connected series of regional city-states, each one governed by a king, and this soon fell apart, and instead of kings, they elected councils. As the councils fell upon difficult times, they were uh, succeeded by dictators, leaders from the people who would rise up and take over the government. These, in turn, were overthrown and replaced by a council of ten rulers. Eventually, that form, too, failed, and tribunes were elected by the people to rule the land. Those were the, f the, 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 the first five forms of government that had fallen as the Roman Empire uh, was developing. Stedman goes on to say, but John is told one is. That would be the imperial form, the emperors of Rome beginning with Julius Caesar before Christ and continuing in a long series that history records as stretching well into the fourth century. Now, says the angel, a seventh is yet to appear, and, quote, he must remain for a little while. That's when the beast will appear, this antichrist. He will be one of the seven revived and thus constitute an eighth. I know that's a, that's a lot of mileage around the block and a lot of symbols to try to put together, but that's how I best understand this, um, this woundedness of the beast. Maybe a death and resurrection, but perhaps a further description of what has happened to the Roman Empire and how its mortal wound is healed and the whole earth marvels as this comes together and they marvel and follow the beast. Thirdly, the beast is worshiped. Verse 4, and they worshiped the dragon, that is the devil himself, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast and who can fight against it? When this world leader comes onto the scene, uh, Satan begins to receive what he has always desired, which is the fawning affection and worship of human beings. Some people believe that... Um, in verse 12, when we talked about the, the fall of Satan from heaven, perhaps a second fall that John describes there, a fall uh, this time when Satan loses his all-access pass to the throne room of God, that he is so mad, he is so furious, he falls to this earth and either possesses the Antichrist or just takes him over completely, and the Antichrist is the devil. There's, there's some discussion about that. But Satan begins to receive the worship that he planned. You can probably insert here Daniel's discussion and Jesus' affirmation in Matthew 24 about the abomination that causes desolation. This is when the Antichrist, remember, who rides into this world on a white horse like a good guy, and he, and he negotiates peace in the Middle East and peace on behalf of Israel and brokers a, a deal for Israel to rebuild their temple in Jerusalem. That's the first three and a half years of the tribulation period. The starting of the second three and a half years, boy, that white hat turns to a black hat. And he, he disassociates himself from Israel and he steps into the temple. This is the abomination that causes desolation. He desecrates the temple. The false prophet, which we'll talk about next week, helps to amalgamate the world's spirituality and point everybody to the dragon and to the beast, and, and he's worshipped. 
He's worshiped in that temple from Jerusalem. See, how, how could that happen? How could that possibly happen? We'll be right back with more of today's Something Good message from Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Something Good Radio is a 100% listener-supported ministry. We depend on your prayers and financial support to help Ron share the gospel of Jesus Christ through these radio and internet broadcasts. When you give this month, we want to say thanks with a special gift of our own. The complete audio download to the series you're hearing now, Mysteries of the Apocalypse, The Last Days of Planet Earth, and The Return of Jesus Christ. That's Mysteries of the Apocalypse, The Last Days of Planet Earth, and The Return of Jesus Christ, a teaching series from Dr. Ron Jones, and for a limited time, our gift to you for your gift to Something Good Radio. Give online at somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23456. You can also call our offices at 757-276-1099. Now let's join Ron for the rest of today's Something Good Radio message, Antichrist and the New World Order. Well, let's go on. Number four, the beast wars against the saints. Verse 7, also it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. Chapter 17, verses 13 and 14. These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast, speaking of the ten nations or the ten horns. They will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. He makes war against God's people because the devil and the Antichrist and even the false prophet hate, hate God's people. They hate the Jewish people and anyone who has spawned in belief in their Messiah. Number five, it goes without saying that the beast is powerful, verse 2, and to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. Uh, just one little note here. Any, any power, any authority that the devil has is a delegated authority. He has no power in and of himself. And we know this from the book of Job, where when the devil had his all-access pass to the throne of God, uh, when he still had possession of that, he steps into the Lord's presence, starts accusing Job, and the Lord said, okay, you can do this, this, and this to Job, but not this. He put the devil on a leash but gave him some delegated authority and power. Just always remember, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. John reminds us of that in his little postcard that he writes, and that's an encouragement for us. And then finally, the beast is profane. Verse 5 says, and the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words. You know that every evil despot and dictator that has ever come upon this planet has always used words powerful, swaying, compelling rhetoric and language to sway the masses of people. Adolf Hitler was a master at this and was probably possessed by the devil. But can you imagine a world leader possessed by the devil like that and even more so, perhaps even the devil himself, a, a brilliant communicator, a, a brilliant wordsmither, and people will be spellbound at his ability to communicate and his, his charismatic personality. He will use his words to sway people, but out of his mouth come haughtiness and pride 
and, and blasphemous names. You say, well, what is blasphemy? Well, blasphemy is not cursing. Blasphemy is when you claim to be God or to having the powers of God, when you assume authority that only God has. And this is what the devil has been wanting to do ever since the beginning of time when he rebelled against the throne of God. And in the last day, he will have his man in place to assume the authority that only God can have, and out of his mouth will come great blasphemies. Do you ever scratch your head and wonder, how would all of this happen? Maybe 30 or 40 years ago, that was more perplexing than it is today. You wonder, you know, how, how would the world be so gullible as to follow a leader like this? Remember, go back to Shinar. And since Shinar, world leaders have come and they have gone, some with good intent, a lot of them with bad and evil intent, trying to pull together, unite the world into some new world order. Oh, they've come, they've gone, they've come, they've gone. Uh, even in our American political system, you have that rhetoric seeping into the, the conversation. There will come a day when, as we incrementally, slowly, progressively move toward this, that it will just seem normal and natural for the world to slide under the Antichrist authority, not knowing the evil intent and the satanic intent behind it. So what are we as Christians to do today? How do, how do we respond to a message like this? Well, back to Revelation chapter 13, I'm, I'm glad that John inserts some encouragement for believers who are living during that time. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and a member of the body of Christ, you won't be because you'll be raptured out of this world beforehand. But we can take this to heart. Verse 9, John says, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. Something Jesus often said to his followers uh, during the time that he was on this earth, he wasn't telling you to go get your ears checked. You know, to make sure that you have the ability to hear, because you can, you can have perfect hearing and still not hear what the Spirit of God is saying to the churches. You, you, you can have no, no deficiency in your auditory abilities and still not hear what God is saying through His Word. So John begins there, if anyone has an ear to hear, let him hear. And then he said, if anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with a sword, with a sword he must be slain. Honestly, a little bit of a clunky translation here. What it's really meant to say is that those who take others captive and those who slay with the sword, one day they too will be taken captive. They too will be slain with the sword. It's an encouragement to believers to do what John says, and that is to endure and have, have faith during this time. Uh, certainly an encouragement that those living on planet earth during the tribulation period, those who come to faith in Christ will need to hear. Uh, we, we, we refer to it as theologians as the perseverance of the saints. Can you persevere during hard times? Well, it'll be really difficult to do that as the Antichrist reigns. We haven't even gotten into his economic control over the world through his famous number 666. We'll talk about that next week. But he makes it difficult for anybody to do anything, even transact business on planet earth if you don't worship the beast. But this little encouragement from John is, <laughs> uh, it's going to be okay eventually. 
Uh, it reminds me of what John said in one of his postcards, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Oh, the devil is given power, a delegated power and authority for a time. The Bible says 42 months, three and a half years. That's the second half of the tribulation, what Jesus called the great tribulation, a time of trouble the world has never seen before. And what it calls for are believers in Jesus Christ to endure. James talks about this in his first, his first and only New Testament epistle where, where he uses the Greek word hupomone. It means to, to bear up under great stress and difficulty. What we need as believers in Jesus Christ, even as we look around our world today and it seems to be unraveling at the seams, is perseverance and faith the kind of faith that says, even so, come Lord Jesus. We, we know that our Savior is here. We, we read about all of this. We study about all of this with the end in view. We know that the glorious return of our Lord Jesus Christ, that He's coming, and He will defeat the enemy. He will defeat the devil. He will throw the devil and, and, and Hades and, and all of the unbelievers into the lake of fire. He will establish His government on this earth. By the way, a time, the only time I'm for big government is when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the Prince of Peace establishes His rule and reign on this earth. Thanks so much for joining us for today's Something Good Radio message, Antichrist and the New World Order. And Ron, we've been in the book of Revelation for about three weeks now, and I've got to say, your understanding of this prophecy and your insight into the events that will take place at the end of the age has been extremely compelling. I think many of our listeners are wondering how you became such an expert in the field of end times prophecy. Was this a focus of your doctoral study? Is this something you began to pursue later after you had already begun to pastor a church? Tell our listeners, if you would, about how you gained such a keen understanding of what will happen in the last days of planet Earth. Well, Brian, that's a great question, and I understand some of the curiosity about where I might have developed an interest in this particular subject, and, and you're kind in suggesting I might be an expert in the area, but uh, rather than an expert, I just, I'm, I'm a local church pastor here in Virginia Beach, and um, I do feel an obligation to teach the whole counsel of God, and that includes at least 25% of the Bible that when it was written was prophetic in nature. I mean, if we're going to be uh, careful students of God's Word and careful teachers of God's Word. We, we can't ignore this subject in Scripture. Uh, but to answer your question more directly, I, I had a wonderful pastor that I came to know the Lord under who, who indeed was and is a Bible prophecy expert. His name was David Jeremiah, and I was privileged to grow up under his ministry and, and under uh, teaching in the area of Bible prophecy that, that wasn't full of sensationalism, but was simply an attempt to open up the pages of God's Word and unfold some of the mysteries surrounding uh, these, these kinds of topics in Scripture and certainly the book of Revelation. Later in life, when I followed the Lord into full-time ministry and answered that call into ministry, I, I went to a place called Dallas Theological Seminary to do my master's work. And uh, there were many scholars there, just uh, uh, wonderful men of God who were teaching and, and who truly were experts in this area of theology that we call eschatology. So uh, after many, many years of study and uh, mentoring and, and, and diving into this subject on my own, um, 
I, I share these teachings not only with my church family, uh, but also with our Something Good Radio listening audience. Uh, we call it Mysteries of the Apocalypse, uh, the last days of planet Earth and the return of Jesus Christ, uh, based on the study of the book of Revelation. Thanks, Ron. I know I've gained a far better understanding of Revelation these past few weeks, and I'm sure many of our listeners have as well. And as usual, we're up against the clock here. So how about a quick preview of tomorrow's message as we wrap things up here on Something Good Radio? Well, Brian, with the rise of the Antichrist, there will be one world order and one world religion. Tomorrow, I'll begin to explore the ins and outs of this heretical belief system, how it will rise, and also how it will fall. It's a fascinating look into the mind and the depravity of the Antichrist. And it comes your way tomorrow right here on Something Good. I hope everyone will join us. That's tomorrow in Dr. Ron Jones' message, One World Religion and the 666 Economy. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis. God bless and thanks for listening.